Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, August 8th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Meta is prioritizing artificial intelligence projects that make it money, and PayPal says it's launching a stablecoin. Plus, there may be a lot of chatter about Ukraine joining the European Union, but the FT's Henry Foy explains there are a lot of roadblocks. It's not just about Ukraine reforming its economy, its political structure, its judicial structures to join the EU. This is about how the EU reforms itself. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Facebook's parent company Meta ditched the first database of more than 600 million protein structures. The social media giant had employed about a dozen scientists and used artificial intelligence to predict protein structures. The project could have helped develop new drugs and treatments. But sources told the FT that the group was cut this spring as part of broader layoffs across the company. The reason this is a big deal is because it shows that Meta is abandoning purely scientific goals. Sources say that the company is focusing more on AI projects that can generate revenue. PayPal announced on Monday that it's launching a stablecoin tied to the U.S. dollar. It's the first major financial institution to get into crypto payments, and the timing is interesting because regulators are cracking down on cryptocurrencies. The FT's digital markets correspondent, Niku Asgari, wrote about the move. She joins me now. Hi, Niku. Hi, Mark. So, Niku, for those of us who don't know what exactly stablecoins are, how do they differ from cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin? So, stablecoins are a type of cryptocurrency, and they typically track the value of a major currency like the dollar, which it, this PayPal stablecoin is doing. So, they're pegged one-to-one. So, one dollar equals one PayPal stablecoin. The point of them really is to help the traders or people who use them to move in and out of different cryptos, trade Bitcoin, trade Ethereum, for example, without paying high fees. You know, crypto proponents say that stablecoins are, <laughs> they're the name, it's in the name, more stable than other crypto coins because they're pegged to typically dollars, it can be gold, just other traditional assets that, you know, are underlying those coins. So they're less volatile than Bitcoin. So knowing what we know about stable coins, that, you know, many in the crypto industry view them as more stable, why is PayPal getting into the game? Well, PayPal is one of the biggest payments companies in the US, if, if not in the world. And they say that it makes sense for them now to move into crypto payments as people want to send money, whether it's to friends and family, whether it's to buying something online or in a shop. They say that there's, you know, interest and demand for doing this with crypto. And so they think that launching a stable coin will help them corner that part of the market, that digital crypto payment part of the market. Is this a bad time to to be getting into stable coins? It seems kind of odd. It's an interesting time to be launching a crypto project, especially in the U.S., You've got the top U.S. regulator, the Securities and Exchange Commission, making its position very clear on especially unregulated crypto activities. It's gone after Coinbase, it's gone after Binance. And because of this, other companies have pulled back their crypto projects in the U.S. For PayPal this week to be um, creating its own stablecoin and really 
actively pushing deeper into crypto, um, I think is really interesting. I guess it shows the way that they are thinking about payments and where that's headed. Nico Isgari is the FT's digital markets correspondent. Thanks, Nico. Thanks, Mark. The war in Ukraine kickstarted a conversation about letting new countries into the European Union. The thinking is, Russia's gotten more aggressive, so it makes sense from a security perspective to admit more states. But there are still a lot of unanswered questions about whether admitting Ukraine is even possible. Here to talk more about this is the FT's European diplomatic correspondent, Henry Foy. Hi, Henry. Hey. So, Henry, what's the argument for letting Ukraine into the EU? I think there are really two sides to this. The first is geopolitical. It's, look, we cannot leave countries in the waiting room for too long. If they've stated a desire to join the Western bloc and we're saying yes, but just wait, that makes them vulnerable. And Russia has shown that it's willing to use force to, if you like, keep those countries within its sphere of influence. The other reason is that Ukraine is an aspirant nation. It's full of very pro-European citizens who want to bring them and their large population and their their decent-sized economy inside the EU. And I think it's dawning on people in Brussels, this is a very, very good thing. Let's talk about some of the unanswered questions that I mentioned earlier. First off, what would be the economic implications if Ukraine joined? So I think it's really important to make clear here that the EU has never taken in a country that is as poor as Ukraine. That affects the most important part of the EU budget, which is cohesion funds, which is a massive chunk of money that's basically set aside to build up the economy of poorer members. The other thing about Ukraine that makes it very, very difficult to see a way that they could join in the current state is that they have an enormous agricultural sector. The other part of the EU budget that takes up the most money is the common agricultural policy, which is effectively uh, subsidies to agricultural industry. Ukraine would absorb an enormous amount of that, taking money away from countries like France, Poland, and also a huge amount of the cohesion funds. So together, they account for about 60% of the EU's budget, and Ukraine would swallow a huge, huge part of it. What about the governance and political structure in the EU? How would that change if Ukraine became a member state? The way that the EU decides things is based on two metrics, effectively the size of your population and whether or not there is a unanimous decision. So on the unanimity, you're bringing in another country that would have a lot of weight. It would be able to block things simply because it doesn't agree with things. On the other side, it's a huge population. It would be in the top five or six. So it would have a huge amount of weight when it comes to voting on issues that don't require unanimity, but you need a certain proportion of the EU's population. Okay, so there are a bunch of issues. Are there any solutions being proposed? I mean, I don't think anybody thinks that Ukraine can join without the system being changed slightly. Some ways that they can change the way things operate would be reducing the number of issues on which there's unanimity required. So in that way, you are removing the veto risk. On the financial side, a lot of countries are starting to say, well, is there a way that they can join and there can be a sort of a sliding scale of market access? So there's a way in which we can phase it in. Because another thing that a lot of countries are telling us is, look, the EU single market is incredibly competitive and you don't want to join it until you're ready because your economy will be hurt by the, the competitiveness of the rest of the, of the bloc. For me, the most interesting thing is that Brussels is finally waking up to the need that enlargement takes place and how it adapts to make sure it's safe and benefits everybody. 
Henry Foy is the FT's European diplomatic correspondent. Thanks, Henry. Thanks so much. Before we go... The FT Weekend podcast recently interviewed the Talking Heads' former frontman, David Byrne. Host Lila Raptopulous talked to Byrne about the band's seminal concert documentary called Stop Making Sense. A remastered version of it will be released later this month. What was it like to re-watch it? What has it been like to return to it? I'm looking at my younger self from... What is this, like 40 years now? 40 mm-hmm. years? I'm looking at this guy, and, and he seems like a stranger. Hmm. And I go, who is that strange guy? This is a very clever show he put together, but <laughs> as a person, he looks pretty odd. We have a link to that episode in the show notes. You can read more on all of these stories at ft.com for free when you click the links in our show notes. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.